Good evening. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number, and we will take your phone calls tonight, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to bring you up to the state of play real quick on several issues. I will get to Jim Acosta and Tucker Carlson and all that stuff and what's happening in Washington a little bit. I want to spend this hour bringing you up to speed on the Georgia gubernatorial election, the state of play there. Um, First, Robin Crittenden. She is going to be the Secretary of State. Uh, Very, very close uh, associate of Governor Deal and his wife. Um, Brian Kemp resigned as of noon today. And this is a very important thing you need to understand. The media story, I've heard people on this station and others say uh, that Brian Kemp, uh, it was a conflict of interest for him to be Secretary of State and run for governor. Well, you, you know, if you follow that logic out, it's a, it's a conflict of interest to be Secretary of State and run for re-election because you're on the ballot and you're overseeing the election. Uh, It's a silly talking point. Democrat and Republican secretaries of state do this. Everybody was fine uh, when Kathy Cox, uh, a Democrat secretary of state, ran for governor in a Democratic primary. None of the Democrats screamed foul over that, but they they did over Brian Kemp. Nonetheless, it is a, a stupid talking point, if you ask me, because Brian Kemp as Secretary of State plays no role in the elections until after it is concluded. Prior to elections in Georgia law, it is local boards of election in the 159 counties who oversee the election. They are in charge of the voter registration applications. They are in charge of removing people from the rules. I I know there have been a number of stories in the national press that Brian Kemp has thrown people off the ballot or thrown people off the rolls this year. Actually, no, the Secretary of State's office is prohibited from removing people from the voter rolls in a year of an election. Uh, of, of a of a um, federal election, so during off during odd numbered years, you may have municipal elections. Those those don't matter. It is during years of federal elections. You can't the secretary of state can't remove people from the ballot. Uh, so it's local boards of election, and they are restricted in how they remove people from the ballot. You have to have died. You have to have confirmed that you have moved. You have to have been convicted of a felony or you have to have been declared incompetent by a court of law or you have to show up and say, I want you to cancel my voter registration application and boards of elections do that. So all these stories you've been hearing about people throwing off the rolls this year, that's actually local boards of election doing it. And they're only doing it for those reasons. Uh, the national media got that wrong. Oh, the voter equipment, the voter equipment in DeKalb County, in Gwinnett County, where they, they forgot to bring power adapters. So those are local boards of election. The Secretary of State's role as a election supervisor does not come into play until after the election is concluded. The only role that the Secretary of State plays prior to the election is he oversees the uniform construction of the ballot, meaning he is in charge of making sure everybody's lined up on the ballot where they're supposed to be lined up on the ballot and making sure that every county in the state uses the same ballots and forms. Uh, All of that is uniform. Everything else is local. After the election is over, the secretary of state becomes the chairman of the state board of elections. And then the secretary of state actually plays a role in the elections, making sure provisional ballots are being counted properly and certifying the election. Brian Kemp has now resigned prior to that happening to avoid the conflict of interest. There has been no conflict of interest up until this point. Anyone who says there's a conflict of interest up to this point is someone who doesn't understand Georgia election law. The secretary of state's role only comes into effect after the election 
election is concluded in terms of being the chairman of the election. Prior to the election, the Secretary of State is in charge of corporations and corporate law. He is in charge of uh, regulatory institutions in the state and several other institutions in the state primarily related to business and and this is the most important role of the Secretary of State, as a formal liaison with the federal government, were there to be a constitutional amendment to come into the state of Georgia, or a senator uh, appointed by the governor after the death of an existing senator, the Secretary of State handles all of those matters. That's why we call him the Secretary of State. He is an administrative agent of the state towards the federal government and towards businesses and oversees the elections after the election is concluded. That That's it. So... Uh, that being said, what is the state of play here? Um, Bernie Sanders says you're racist. Bernie Sanders has said this afternoon that, that white people didn't vote for Stacey Abrams because they couldn't come to terms with voting for a black person. Same with Andrew Gillum in Florida. Not that she's a progressive. It's that she's black, according to Bernie Sanders. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who support Abrams who believe that, uh, that it wasn't her policies. It was the color of her skin, which is garbage. Uh, Nikki Haley could have won Georgia. Uh, Stacey Abrams could not. Um, so you, Tim Scott in, in South Carolina could have won Georgia, but Stacey Abrams could not. It's her positions, not her skin color, but Bernie Sanders, he believes these things. What is the state of play here in Georgia? Stacey Abrams campaign has conceded, and this is important. Last night they had a phone call, 7.06 PM. Stacey Abrams lawyers conceded that she does not have the votes to win the election. And they have moved the goalposts accordingly. They said at the time there were 25,000 outstanding ballots, 25,000 outstanding ballots. They believed that she could win 23,800 of those ballots or 95%, which hasn't happened in any county in the state. And that if she got 23,800 of those 25,000 votes, she could get a recount. They're, so they're no longer talking about runoff. They're talking about recount. Now, they're claiming today at a new press conference, they very clearly realized they screwed up by admitting that last night. So they had a second press conference today where they claimed that they're technically in a runoff. And this gets very interesting. There has been no runoff declared. So if she's spending money that she's raised for a runoff and there is no runoff, she's breaking the law. Someone from news organizations is going to need to look into this. How is she paying her lawyers? If she has leftover money from the general election, there's no problem. But her lawyers are saying she's in a runoff. It sounds to me like they're saying that because they're trying to spend runoff money and justify this. They're not in a runoff. They can't spend runoff money. There's been no runoff declared. They can't spend that money. There's been no certification of this election. They can spend general election funds. They just can't spend runoff money. Yet it sounds like that's what they're trying to do. They've been sending out fundraising pitches as well. I mean, this is this campaign has gone from being a campaign for governor to a campaign for grifting. They're now sending out national fundraising pitches that, oh, Brian Kent's going to steal the election. No, he already won. Send me money. Send me money. Um, listen, they're, they're hoping to get the Beto O'Rourke factor after the election. The votes are there. So they filed suit in Darty County. Uh, notice my correct pronunciation of what is, should be Doherty County, but it's Darty County that is Albany in South Georgia, uh, Southwest Georgia. Some of their ballots, they claim, did not get sent out. Listen, y'all, there aren't enough ballot. There would not be enough ballots sent in, in Darty County out to people to overcome. She needs roughly 30 some odd thousand votes to get into a runoff. There just aren't enough there for them. 
but they've turned this they're no longer campaigning for governor this is really this is the big thing this has turned into a grifter campaign where they're trying to keep hope alive for people so that they can make money off of victimization that's what's going on here now the lawyers are running this game trying to fundraise off of it, trying to make Abrams and you victims of Brian Kemp so that you will feel bad and send your check in and they can have a grievance to run on. They want the grievance to run on. This is the the entire progressive operation now is to get people inflamed. And what she's actually doing is what she said she did not want to do. She wanted to unite. Instead, she's dividing. She wanted to be a healer. Instead, she's ripping ripping open wounds. She is causing people to be divided and to believe a mythology premised on serious lies that the election has been stolen when it has not. Brian Kemp won fair and square. He did not have a role in suppressing votes and throwing people off rolls this year or breaking equipment so it couldn't be used. In fact, it was Democrats who sued Cobb, Fulton, and DeKalb County and caused over 1,000 voting machines to be sequestered. So those long lines and lack of equipment on Election Day were because Democrats filed a lawsuit and forced those machines to be taken out, causing the long lines. So then, hey, guess what? They could go to court and say, oh, we got long lines. We got to keep the polls open. This has all been a coordinated strategy to try to steal the vote through the court. It failed. And so now they're suing Darty County saying you didn't generate enough absentee ballot fraud for us to be able to steal the election. If you ask me, that seems like what it's doing. Bringing in the lawyers because you don't have the votes. It's happening in Florida, too, with Rick Scott and Bill Nelson. They're bringing in the lawyers to try to keep county absentee ballots. Broward County, Florida, they won't even tell us how many absentee ballots they have left. They keep adding to Bill Nelson's total without showing us the absentee ballots. It's happening down there, too. Bringing in the Democratic lawyers. Y'all, here it is in a nutshell. There are not enough votes for there to be a runoff, let alone for Stacey Abrams to win. And so she's sending out fundraising pitches to build a grievance that she can then run on in four years while she keeps people in a frenzy for four years and has everybody at each other's throat claiming that the election was stolen from her when it wasn't stolen from her. She just came up short and is now showing herself to be a sore loser. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night when you sleep poorly? How does it impact the rest of your day? Well, there's a great app to help you get to sleep at night, and I can tell you we've started using it in our family. Jonathan Last, actually, a friend of mine from the Weekly Standard, recommended this. He and his family have used it for a very long time. Uh, the app is called Calm. We have gotten to the point now where our kids now sleep in separate rooms, and our youngest has wanted to sleep with the dog. Our oldest has wanted some sort of sound machine at night. Well, this app, Calm, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grown-ups designed to quiet your minds and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark Peters from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. There are guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and there's soothing music and more. For a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time at all. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then get to sleep. It's 
6.39 after the hour. Uh, the phone number here, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, to the phones we go. Jay in Atlanta, you are up first. Eric got a question. It seems to me every Democrat that lost close, they keep finding more votes. I wanted to know if any Republicans that lost are finding more votes. Uh, yeah, well, they are, but here's the issue. Um, a lot of the votes that are being counted are provisional ballots. and Provisional ballots are people who show up at polling places. They're not sure they belong there, uh, so they get cast by provisional ballot. And historically, uh, Democratic voters uh, tend to be uh, provisional ballots. You also need to remember that Stacey Abrams encouraged people to cast provisional ballots. So uh, the, Brian Kemp's team did not do that. So there was a, a, a level of preponderance uh, of, of Democrats getting out there and, and casting provisional ballots in a way Republicans did not. But historically, you know, about 50% of provisional ballots get thrown out. Now, I would say in this case, uh, you're probably going to be talking 30 or 40 percent of provisional ballots get thrown out because the Abrams campaign did push people to vote by provisional balloting, even in in their areas. And I just think that um, you're going to still not have enough votes present to get into a runoff. They're, They're just there's no there there to get into a runoff. Um, but you are in also predominantly Democrat areas. So while the Republican percentage goes up, the Democratic percentage or the, the Republican total goes up, the Democratic percentage goes up a little more because they're in Democratic areas where more people vote Democrat, which makes sense. But it's still just not enough uh, that I can see. The Abrams campaign is essentially saying that there are outstanding ballots. And when they count all the outstanding ballots, there's going to be a runoff. And people are asking, well, where are the outstanding ballots? They say, well, we don't really know. Well, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You either you know where the ballots are or you don't, and, and they don't seem to. Uh, there is until tomorrow. Tomorrow is the last day for receipt of absentee ballots. That's why they won't do certification until Monday. Um, they they got to receive the ballots. And I just, I don't think that there's a there there. I really don't, looking at all the data. Um, I mean, may, maybe they're seeing something nobody else including local boards of election and the secretary of state's office are seeing. Um, but I certainly don't see it. Uh, and then last night to shift from recall or re runoff to recount that they admitted last night, they didn't have enough votes for a runoff. They had enough votes for a recount. I'll tell you what their strategy is. And this makes so much sense to me now why they shifted from runoff to recount. Okay. So remember the, the, um, the pending voter list. Remember that story that the Abrams campaign put so much weight in into. What if they're trying to get the the gap down to 46,000 votes? And that then gets you to the pending voter number. Maybe they're trying for 53. The actual number was 46. So you get down to the pending voter number and then suddenly they they run to federal court, find a sympathetic federal judge, and they say, look, Brian Kemp denied these 46,000 people the right to vote. He stole the election. Now, there's nothing a federal judge can do to say, okay, we're going to let these people now go vote. Um, But it gives her a fundraising grievance for her grifting campaign. 
Uh, I, I wonder if that's what they're doing. They're trying to get the vote down to the pending voter number. And I bet they already have national reporters queued up on this story to run forward and do that. Y- y- y'all, there, there are not ballots out there to get her into a runoff at this point that I can see. I mean, maybe they're there, but I've talked to friends of mine who are elections attorneys. I've talked to Republicans who are examining this. I've talked to the people in the Secretary of State's office. I've talked to local boards of elections. I mean, I've been working the phones on this, too. I'm not just sitting out here reading other people's news reports, largely because I was an elections lawyer, and I'm realizing how sorry so many of these national reporters are when it comes to reporting stories on Georgia election law. I've been making phone calls, too, and nobody seems to know where these votes are coming from. Maybe they're coming from Glasgow County, the 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 mysterious county in in southwest Georgia that was damaged by the hurricane. Maybe it's it's Glasgow County voters, and we got to go find where Glasgow County is through the looking glass to be able to pull those votes out of the rear end of Unicorn. That's about all I can see for where we may get these votes to get into a runoff. It's fifty four after the hour. Eric Erickson here. I have time to take a phone call. I'm going to take a phone call. Wow, am I getting older? Is the screen small? Um, Charles and Grayson, welcome. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good, how are you? I'm doing fine, man. Um, question. Florida gubernatorial race. I thought that uh, that um, Gillum had um, conceded. What happened? Uh, so Gillum conceded and uh, Bill Nelson did not. And in Florida, Bill Nelson claims that uh, there are all sorts of absentee ballots in Broward County. Now, the Broward County Supervisor of Elections uh, is incompetent and has been accused of all sorts of things over the years. Federal courts have found she improperly disposed of ballots and improperly counted ballots and whatnot for years, but the Democrats keep her in place down there. And as he keeps counting, the Rick Scott margins are shrinking. And as the Rick Scott margins are shrinking, so are the Ron DeSantis margins. And essentially, you're watching the Democrats in Florida steal the race in Broward County as they tried to do to George W. Bush in 2000. It's really rich to hear Stacey Abrams' campaign claim that Brian Kemp is stealing the election in Georgia when Brian Kemp hasn't even been involved in the election yet because it hadn't been concluded, and yet her attorneys are magically, mysteriously out of the backsides of unicorns in Glasgow County finding new absentee ballots, and the same thing is happening in Broward County, Florida. I mean, they they won't even tell people. In, In Broward County, the Board of Elections supervisor won't even tell people how many votes, um... They have to count. They, they they claim they don't know. They're just counting the votes. And overnight, about 1 o'clock in the morning, every night, the vote keeps going up. And by the way, it's not just Republicans you should know. Um, a guy named Tim Canova ran against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and he was ahead, and then suddenly he lost. And he and lots of other Democrats expe- uh, suspected uh, that the vote was manipulated by Broward County's Board of Elections. Uh, dirty, dirty, dirty. When we come back, what's happening in D.C. and the new attorney general? After the hour, I'm Eric Erickson. This is WSB, the phone number 404 872 750 
WSB Talk. If you're driving up 85, you got rain up 985 as well. You got rain. Uh, and you got now a rain intensifying in the Canton area up, up 575, although it, it's not really heavy. But there's a lot of just drizzle and, and nastiness out there all over the city. The heaviest stuff, though, up 85 right now, um, north of Lawrenceville, uh, the Auburn area, the Brazelton area, Flowery Branch. Um, it's just a mess. Um, I, I want to move into national politics. We'll get back to Georgia. Uh, i got to talk about Jim Acosta and, and Tucker Carlson as well. But uh, the president has named uh, Matthew Whitaker the acting attorney general. And there is a problem um, uh, because of the Constitution. And I didn't really even think about it, but of all the people, um, George Conway, Kellyanne Conway's husband, is one of the people who is raising the red flag on this. And John Yu, who was a... um, the deputy attorney general for George W. Bush, deeply unpopular on the left because he was accused of uh, tor- uh, authorizing torture. Uh, they're all coming out and they're waving a flag and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You, you can't, you can't do this. You, you can't appoint this guy uh, as your attorney general, not even as acting attorney general. It's a constitutional issue." And you know, I thought that Whitaker had been confirmed to his position as chief of staff. He has it. There's a problem here. Let me read you Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution. Uh, Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2. He, meaning the president, shall have power by and with advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. And he shall nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for and shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone, in the courts of law, or in the heads of departments. In other words, a head of a department is an officer of the United States, a cabinet officer is an officer of the United States. And officers of the United States have to be in their position with the advice and consent of the Senate. So, for example, Sally Yates. Sally Yates was the deputy attorney general under Barack Obama. When the Obama administration left for 10 days, Sally Yates was the acting attorney general. And the reason Sally Yates could be the acting attorney general is because she had, uh, prior to her appointment as a deputy attorney general, been confirmed by the Senate so she could serve as acting attorney general. Had she wanted to stay on as attorney general, she would have had to go through the confirmation process again. But the Constitution requires that anyone uh, who is a, an, an officer of the United States be there with the advice and consent of the, of the Senate. And if you're a department head, with the advice and consent of the Senate. She had gotten the advice and consent of the Senate, and was able to serve as acting attorney general as a result. Whitaker has not. A couple of years ago, the Congress passed a law um, that essentially said uh, non-authoritative positions in executive branch in the executive branch do not have to have the advice and consent of the Senate. In other words, they said the appointment of such inferior officers, Congress may by law uh, allow the president alone, the courts or the heads of departments to appoint. And 
so the chief of staff to the attorney general used to have to be confirmed, but the chief of staff now could be placed there without having to worry about confirmation. And the, largely it was because there were so many positions in the executive branch that they needed to speed things along to, to really cover the people who had power to make decisions. And so these people who didn't really have the necessary power to make decisions, they could just be appointed. So Whitaker is one of those positions now. He's appointed, not confirmed by the Senate. But under the Constitution, Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution, he can't be the head of a department without the advice and consent of the Senate. He can't act as the head of a department. Sally Yates could because she'd already gone through the advice and consent process to be deputy attorney general. This guy's never been through the advice and consent role to be an attorney general. He's been advice and consent to get a U.S. attorney position in a, a prior life, a prior career but not to actually work directly inside the Justice Department. So constitutionally, it actually does seem to be pretty clear to me that he can't be the Attorney General. He can't be the Acting Attorney General because Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2 of the Constitution says to be the head of a department or an officer of the United States, you have to have the advice and consent of the Senate. The constitutional issue out of the gate here, um, and it actually is, I think, pretty straightforward. And there actually is Supreme Court precedent on this issue as well uh, that backs that up. Uh, now, there is a big constitutional issue, and, and I didn't even think of it. I just assumed uh, Whitaker was in a position where he had gone through the advice and consent of the Senate, but he hasn't. So that's going to be a problem. Uh, another issue is rumors are circulating wildly in Washington that other cabinet officials will be leaving. Wilbur Ross is one of them. Wilbur Ross is the Commerce Secretary. And Ross, as Commerce Secretary, has lost the trust and confidence of the president. In fact, there have been numerous stories out confirmed by people in the White House over the last few months that the president has cut Wilbur Ross out of virtually all negotiations relating to anything having to do with trade policy uh, and tariffs. And he has told Wilbur Ross that the guy seems too old. He was apparently offended. He is offended by Wilbur Ross because Ross apparently fell asleep in the presence of the president after a after a long trade session. And the president, by the way, is largely an insomniac. Uh, Donald Trump rarely sleeps. He maybe gets three or four hours of sleep a night. So for Wilbur Ross to fall asleep in front of him, that was a bridge too far for the president. Uh, lost, lost trust. Um, there are others as well. Mattis intends to leave probably after the first of the year, but it may happen sooner than that. Um, the, um, uh, da, 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 um, who else? The, uh, let's see, Matt, Mattis has gone. Kelly, uh, it wants out. Uh, Sarah Sanders has given her notice that at the end of the year, she's done. So you got all of these people, uh, who are planning on leaving and there may be other cabinet secretaries as well. The president apparently has not been too enamored with Ben Carson of late. Um, for some of the Carson drawing negative headlines. So we will have that huge shakeup in Washington. Now, um, listener Joe just texted me, did I misunderstand you? Did Whitaker have prior advice and consent for a former office? Yes, he did. Um, Whitaker was a U.S. attorney in the Bush administration. So two presidents ago, he went through an advice and consent process. Uh, but there's actually a Supreme Court precedent on this, on the continuation of advice and consent. When do you have to get new advice and consent? And having changed not just presidencies, but changed complete roles, you would have to have new advice and consent. So Sally Yates continued on into the... the um, 
into the Trump administration, but she was the deputy attorney general, part of Sally Yates's formal role at the time that Congress gave their, the Senate gave their advice and consent to her was that she would serve as attorney general if the attorney general was unavailable to serve. So if Eric Holder then Loretta Lynch uh, could not serve, that was Sally Yates's job. And so her role did not technically change uh, after her advice and consent period through the Senate had, had gone through. So she could serve as acting attorney general because she had served in that role at times that Eric Holder or Loretta Lynch were not available to serve. And that was all part of the deal when she was nominated to that position. Uh, Whitaker went through an advice and consent process with the Senate to be a U.S. attorney, but a U.S. attorney is not a deputy attorney general. He is in charge of a small area of an individual state. And it's a completely different role. So he would have to go through the advice and consent process uh, again for him to be attorney general. And since he hasn't gone through a process like that for a deputy attorney general spot, uh, there's going to be problem. And he probably can't get confirmed. You should know that as well. Uh, he has in the past aggressively defended the president against the Mueller investigation and, and attacks by partisan Democrats. In fact, uh, he got the role there at the Justice Department because he was an aggressive defender of the president. He came to the president's attention by aggressively defending him on the campaign trail over allegations of corruption, collusion, and, and whatnot. So this is this is actually a big constitutional issue here. And if you're telling yourself that you think it's okay that the president should be able to do this, ask yourself, what if a Democrat, what if Elizabeth Warren, President Elizabeth Warren, nominated someone for attorney general that she then allows, she put in uh, Chairman Mao to be the chief of staff of the attorney general, fired the attorney general and then said, okay, Mal, you're the attorney general without ever having the advice and consent of the Senate. Um, yeah, you see where this is a problem. It's, it's a constitutional problem and it's a dangerous precedent to set and it's not going to go untouched. If he actually is acting attorney general and, and makes any decision in that office, there's going to be a lawsuit and given Supreme Court precedent, uh, he's going to lose. It is 27 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Alicia from Young Harris. You're going to be next. Welcome. Hello, sir. How are you tonight? Good. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm almost in Jasper, Georgia here, so I'll probably lose you. But my quick question was, how does Lucy McBath when, when it's already been determined that she was not a legal resident of Georgia. Uh, well, it, it wasn't actually, de it was determined that she didn't have the homestead, couldn't get the homestead exemption, and that was a tax commission decision in Cobb County, but no one ever contested in court uh, her residency issue. And to actually contest uh, citizenship residency has got to be done in court. No one did that before the election, and now it's considered a moot uh, question. Okay, that's yep. all I was yep. asking. That's it, yeah, and someone probably should have, but no one actually did. Uh, let's see, now I've got less than a minute here. When we come back, oh, we got a one, two, three, four, five, six. We, we got a number of people on hold, uh, and I will spend time with those phone calls. Let me address the Jim Acosta situation in just 30 seconds. Uh, no, I, you know, the White House, when they sent out that video, they actually sent out someone else's video and they'd sped it up. So it actually looked like, uh, he really did hurt the girl. It, it looks to me like an accident. I watched that video over and over and over. He should just apologize. The White House should give him the credential back. There's so 
many more important things in life to worry about than Jim Acosta and the White House. Do you have trouble sleeping? Do you struggle putting your kids to bed each night when you sleep poorly? How does it impact the rest of your day? Well, there's a great app to help you get to sleep at night, and I can tell you we've started using it in our family. Jonathan Last, actually, a friend of mine from the Weekly Standard, recommended this. He and his family have used it for a very long time. Uh, the app is called Calm. We have gotten to the point now where our kids now sleep in separate rooms, and our youngest has wanted to sleep with the dog. Our oldest has wanted some sort of sound machine at night. Well, this app, Calm, it's the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It was named App of the Year last year by Apple. And if you head to calm.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales for grown-ups designed to quiet your minds and relax your body. They're read by soothing narrators like Clark Peters, from The Wire and Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. There are guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep, and there's soothing music and more. For a limited time, the Eric Erickson Show listeners get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot C-O-M slash E-R-I-C-K. It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content that will have you drifting off to dreamland in no time at all. Get started today at calm.com slash Eric, then get to sleep. It's 39 after the hour. Um, I, I want to explain to you before I get into the phone calls, what are provisional ballots? Um, provisional ballots are ballots where you think you belong in that precinct and uh, there's no record of you there. You cast a provisional ballot, and it, which is essentially an absentee ballot, although designated provisional. Uh, usually they're in a different color. And then they check to make sure uh, that you are who you say you are. A lot of times in provisional balloting, it is someone who they registered to vote. Um, they were There was a problem with their voter registration, and they got to fix it. Uh, they put in the wrong, they misspelled their name, they put in the wrong address, something like that. They couldn't read it, it wasn't legible. Uh, so you go back, you fix that, they count your ballot. Uh, those are provisional ballots. Uh, in a lot of cases, what they are is you think you are supposed to vote in Precinct 1, and really you're supposed to vote in Precinct 5, so you show up at Precinct 1 to vote, and you cast a provisional ballot and, because you're not on the list. And well, then they're going to reject you because you voted in the wrong location. Uh, but uh, it's your obligation to know where to vote, by the way. It's not the state's obligation to tell you. you got to take responsibility for your rights. Uh, to the phones we go. Liz and Marietta, you're next. Welcome. Hey, I was just shocked to see Jesse Jackson in a polling place bringing those five more voting machines to the Pittman Park Rec Center. Oh, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. He was here in Atlanta, and there's stories, and with the AJC, that he was alerted that the voting, there were only three machines at that place, and they, the county decided to send five more, and he escorted them with the people who brought him in, and people were cheering his name as these five machines were brought in to the actual place where the people were voting. Uh, and I see, thought there it, were like more controls of outside people 
being involved. Yeah, well, he's not supposed to go into the place while they're voting if he's not a voter there. That's that is a problem. Um, but so the the thing with these machines and the reason you know there are a lot of people trying to scare everyone about these voting machines we have in Georgia, and they're not yeah. great. But one of the great things about them is that when they start up and you put the ballot in them for the first time, they clear everything out. So it's actually really not. Uh, it, 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 the Democrats want to make sure that they tell you that these machines can be hacked, but they're actually not that bad. Um, I would prefer us to go back to at least having a paper ballot receipt, uh, but the electronic balloting themselves, the electronic voting machines that aren't connected to the internet and ours aren't contrary to what Democrats have said, they're really not that bad. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why it still takes Fulton County so long to process the vote when you got these electronic votes. It's ridiculous. Look at what happened in Broward County. You know, you know the Broward, the, the woman in, who's in charge of Broward County voting who won't tell people how many absentee ballots are, she was caught several years ago opening the ballots and resealing them and throwing away Republican ballots. She was. She was. There, there's actually a federal court case about her, and they left her in the job because she was helping the Democrats. Broward County did. Um, they, they left her, they didn't press charges. They left her, this is what the woman has done. Uh, there's a federal court case on it and that's what's happening. It looks like in Broward County right now, uh, as, as they try to steal the vote in Broward County, Florida against the Senate and the, the Republican Senator and the Republican governor, just crazy. Now back to the phones, we go, uh, Robert in Kennesaw, you're next. Welcome. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Concerned about the uh, 1900 magical ballots that showed up. Uh, look last night at uh, the AJC website. Karen Handel was ahead by a small amount, uh, 190, uh-huh. votes. Got up this morning and she was behind by 1900 votes and quit. Uh, so there are a couple things that happened. Uh, one is that uh, the vo- the the vote counting went so late Tuesday night. Some boards of elections just went home. They weren't going to stay up all night and count. Uh, They've got until Friday to do the counting, and so they closed up shop and went home. Once the big races were largely known, they decided to leave. Uh, So they came back Wednesday morning, and they counted the rest of the absentee ballots. The absentee ballots were counted last because they've got to verify the, the signatures. And then they've got until Friday to actually get in absentee ballots. Absentee ballots, they've got to have a postmark of Election Day. Uh, but they give them until Friday to show up along with military ballots. And the military ballots mostly will favor Republicans, tend to. Uh, but these others, they can they can trickle in over over several days. And the, the Abrams campaign, of course, that's what they're waiting for. That's why they don't want to concede. Uh, but I have talked to folks in the Karen Handel campaign, and, and they're not contesting that these aren't legit votes. They're just, they were there on election night, most of them. And the Board of Elections went so late, they all got exhausted. They secured the ballots. They went home, and they came back on Wednesday to count them. And before you can count an absentee ballot, you got to verify the signatures. you got to verify that the forms are filled out properly, and then you begin to count them. And that takes some time. That, that was the delay. Uh, now, all that being said, I suppose I should go take a commercial timeout. You guys may get aggravated by the commercials. I hear angels pouring out buckets of money on me, so I'm happy to do this. And i got to go to the bathroom. It is 53 after the hour. Yeah, it appears Jesse Jackson went inside the polling place, uh, which, you know, you're not allowed to campaign in those areas, and they they gave him a pass. This is so typical of these 
uh, Democrat-run counties where they think the rules don't actually apply to them and, and they get away with this stuff. Um, you know, look at what's happening in Broward County, Florida. If that was a Republican down there doing this, the media would be having a field day. Look at all of the, the bad reporting about Brian Kemp. But, you know, I, I've got my nationally syndicated column that doesn't appear in any Atlanta newspapers, but everywhere else in the country. And it, it is on what do you do when the journalism fails? Where, where, where do you go for facts when journalists fail you? Because we're in a situation here where journalism has failed us, uh, national journalists, and local journalism is, is dying out. You know, they, thank goodness for local journalists in Georgia who have covered these stories. I was talking to, to a, an Atlanta-based reporter last week who was just beside himself with how badly the national media has covered uh, the voter suppression story and all, all, everything else. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous uh, the way journalists have covered these stories. And they don't understand Georgia law. They don't understand Georgia elections. And they just run with Democratic talking points, uh, Democratic press release. It's absurd. It, it genuinely is absurd. It's very, very frustrating. Where do you go uh, for truth? Well, this is why so many people hate the media and so many people are turning to uh, conspiracy-style stories circulating on, on the series of tubes known as the Internet because they don't trust the media. They trust their friends who are passing these stories around. Um, back, uh, to the phones, Paul from Atlanta, you're next. Eric, how are you, sir? Nice listening to you. Thank you. Hey, question for you. I don't think I've heard you, uh, render an opinion on this. What do you think about, um, Jeff Sessions, uh, I don't know, I guess resigning slash being fired. And do you think throughout his time that he was treated fairly by the president? You know, I, I feel bad for Jeff Sessions, um, I don't think he was treated well by the president, and I, I understand the president wanted loyal foot soldiers who would have his back, but Sessions had to recuse himself um, from the, the, the Russia investigation and under the law. He had to, or uh, it would have been bad news for him if he didn't, uh, and he's an ethical stand-up guy. Uh, he carried out the president's wishes on immigration, on a host of issues. And he was one, I mean, he was the only senator, the only United States senator to back Donald Trump running for president. The only one. He was the guy, in fact, a good number of session staffers now work for Donald Trump, including Stephen Miller in the White House. And I just don't, I, I think he was treated badly by the president. Uh, I really do. I think he was treated unfairly by former colleagues on the Hill. Uh, and he's going home now. You know what he can do? He can go back to Alabama, and in two years, he can take back his Senate seat from Doug Jones. That would be what he could do now. Uh, but, man, getting him in the AG's seat and having Doug Jones in the Senate, good gracious. Uh, what a miserable thing for Alabama to have to go through.